Bon woman, she knows how to play that good old boy Oh, you washed up. Sorry? Welcome to the island of discarded women, my friend. I used to be somebody. Are you that woman on the radio? Your island job is peladora de papas. Uh, sorry, what? Potato peeler. 87% match for uh, your skills. Okay, that's not... Anyway, what is the second best match then? Host of the island podcast. Are you kidding me? No, no, see, that's me. That That's perfect for me. That's the... Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. What a beautiful night on the beach tonight, right, Mary? You know what? There were northern lights I heard in Minnesota last week, and it was supposed to be gorgeous. Have you ever seen the northern lights, Mary? I know you're an AI assistant, but have you ever seen the northern lights? Did you mean an aurora? Also commonly known as northern lights, oh, a right. natural light displayed in the earth sky. Yeah, that's exactly what I meant. I meant the aurora. Auroras display yes. dynamic patterns of brilliant lights that appear as curtains, mm -hmm. rays, yeah. spirals, yeah. or dynamic flickers covering the entire sky. Yes, I know. It's so pretty. I know. I've seen the northern lights once. Just beautiful. Um, so that was a, well, what would you call that, a ray of dynamic flickering light in the news, right? So much of the other news, maybe not so light filled with curtains of brilliance. Um, Unfortunately, more gun tragedies. It is the guns, people. It is the guns, people. I'm sorry, I could not find guns, people. Did you mean the NRA? Yes, it's exactly what I meant. I meant the NRA, thank you. Good search there, Mary, good search. Uh, then there the neo-Nazis protesting drag shows. Here's the funny thing, they were in costumes too. Did you see them? Oh, yeah, they're all in costumes. And it's like, wait a minute, hello, tone deaf. A drag show is a form of entertainment performed by artists impersonating men or women and often celebrities. Yes, and that is all that it is. That's all that it is, people. It's just that. It's just performers. Hello. Yeah. And, of course, you know, there was the ERA vote that failed in the U.S. Senate. I know, boo. Senate Republicans blocked a procedure vote on a joint resolution to remove an expired deadline for states to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah. 51 senators voted to take up the measure. Yay. 47 voted against. The procedure vote needed 60 votes for the Senate to move forward. Right. You know what? The ERA just, it scares people for some bizarre reason. Equal rights for all? Oh my God, we can't have that. You know, I got into a discussion one time, Mary, with a friend. It was about equal pay for equal work, okay? And I said to him, I said, yeah, I said, the fact that we don't have equal pay for equal work, it, just, it makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. And he said, well, I said, no, 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 there's no well. There's no well. It makes zero sense. Zero sense, period. And he said, no, yeah, exactly. And he said, no, well, actually, I said, no, there's no well, actually. There's no well, actually. Zero sense, period, done, right? I found whale, a very large marine mammal with a streamlined yeah, no. hairless body no, and no, a no, blowhole no. on top to breathe. No, 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 Mary, well, I said well. I said like, well, well, well. Okay, Yeah. I found well. Yeah. To hit, thrash, or no. beat soundly. No, 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 well, not whale. Well, a deep hole full of water or oil. Yes, that's the one. 
But there was something that was kind of cool that happened last week. The Minnesota Senate passed recreational marijuana. Hello, right, right? I found recreational marijuana. You did not. You didn't find it. Recreational marijuana refers to cannabis, used for enjoyment rather than for health benefits. I wonder what the northern lights would look like when you're a little high. I mean, you'd probably really blow your mind, right? Like, whoa, man. Like, what the hell is that, man? It's all green and curtain-like. Okay, why am I making people who are a little high sound like they're Cheech and Chong, right? Not everybody who's high sounds like they're Cheech and Chong. I don't think, do they? I I found Cheech and Chong. Of course you did. A comedy duo consisting of Cheech, Marine, and Tommy Chong. Yep. The duo found success in the 1970s yeah. with their stand-up routines, which were based on the hippie counterculture movements, uh-huh. and most notably, their love for cannabis. Dave's not here. Remember that, Mary? Remember that, right? No, man, I'm Dave. I'm Dave. Who? Dave. Dave's not here. Remember that? Huh? Mary? I'm sorry. There are 1,070,000,000 results for the name Dave. Please refine your search. Really? One billion and seventy million? That is a heck of a lot of Daves. Speaking of names, Mary, you know Dylan Mulvaney, right? I found Dylan Mulvaney, an American actress, comedian, and TikTok personality. Right. Mulvaney is known for detailing her gender transition in daily videos on the social media platform TikTok. Right, 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 right. And Bud Light, right, created a can of beer with her photo on it as a gift. Just a gift. And everybody went nuts. Right? Oh, Bud Light is too woke. And they were shooting up cans of beer with their assault rifles. Woke, meaning the past tense of wake. Yeah, that's right, Mary. That is so right. Okay, so here's this thing. This this really funny thing on Twitter. Okay, this guy said, do you know how to get an assault weapons ban passed immediately? Paint an AR-15 in rainbow covers and gift it to Dylan Mulvaney. Done. Assault weapons banned. Whoosh. There are 14,600,000 results on Twitter for Dylan Mulvaney. Yep, I bet there are. You stand tall, Dylan Mulvaney. Just be you. Yes. I try. 
I don't know where to turn Can't leave you waiting But I can't stay and watch this city burn mm, Watch it burn I try But it's so hard to believe I try But I can't see what you see I try I try I try and try To understand the distance in between The love I feel and the things I fear And every single dream I can finally see it Now I have to believe all these precious stories The whole world is made of faith And trust And pixie dust So I'll try Cause I finally believe I'll try Cause I can see what you see I'll try Jonathan Brooke, Jonathan Brooke, thank, thank you. you, thank you, thank you. Oh my gosh, this is gorgeous, this is gorgeous. So that last line, I'll try to fly, so powerful, oh my gosh. So, you wrote this song for a Disney Peter Pan animated movie. I did. Called Peter Pan Returns to Neverland, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was released in 2002. And it's interesting about this song is when I first heard this song, I was like, I love this song, I love this song, and I just identified with it, I'm gonna try. Don't we all wanna try? And then I didn't realize it was written for a Peter Pan movie. And I thought, I did, I thought, I thought the, the, you know, the pixie dust, I thought it was just fabulous metaphors, right? <laughs> I thought, wow, that is so freaking cool. What an amazing thing to put in a song. And it's like, oh, I get it. But it, but it just gives it so much uh, depth and breadth. And anyway, thank you for that. So the backstory, you were telling me that a friend of yours named Bambi. I know. Tell. My friend Bambi. Yeah. Really? For real. Worked yeah. for Disney for 19 years. I know. And so she was working on this movie. It's the sequel, the animated feature sequel to Peter Pan, the first one. And apparently Wendy's all grown up and she's got a daughter named Jane who's 12 and 12-year-old uh, angst is my absolute specialty. Uh, so Bambi thought, I gotta call Joe for this because like, she's really good at you know, telling the stories of how 12-year-olds because I'm still 12. Because you're still 12, I'm right? Still 12. Yeah, 12. Right, so right. Um, I wrote this song, and, yeah. and it somehow it stuck through all of the changes and machinations at Disney, which can be many. 
And uh, the song stuck, and it's in the movie twice, and then it, it's in the end credits as well. Yeah. Oh, Thanks, no, Bambi. No, yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. So the the song, the character is uh, is the daughter of Wendy, the, like you said, Jane. Jane. And, and the whole point is she doesn't believe her mother's story. She ends up on the island. In order to leave, she has to fly, but she doesn't believe in flying. So that's where she, this whole thing is about, I'm just going to try, right? Yeah. yeah. So like... You know, songwriting 101. First two courses, I try, but I can't. I try, but I can't. And then yeah. the last one's, I'll try and I will. Yeah. And um, but basically, she, this poor 12-year-old girl, has to save the whole day, right? She's right. got to rescue Peter and the Lost Boys. She's got to find the pixie dust and re- rescue Tinkerbell because her light's going out. All the same s- stuff her mom did. And and what? All succession. This? Oh, succession. There you go. There you go. There you go. Took a while for it to kind of go through the ground. <laughs> um, okay, you created your own one woman show, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But you're working on two new musicals as we speak, um, right? It's three now. Oh, it's three now. Mm-hmm. Just since the rehearsal, it's. She got a call. I got a call. Hey, I'm writing another musical. Um, that's how amazing go. she is. Go, yeah. Uh, so one of them is called Switched. And you're writing it with Jeffrey Knopfs, mm-hmm. and he's a playwright actor. Do we know? Oh, we got a woo. Oh, yeah. Somebody knows him. Woo! Okay. He's awesome. He's also been one of the head writers on the TV show, A Million Little Things. Yeah. I know. Oh, okay, see. Very good. And then another, uh, you're going to do a piece from another play you're working on, another musical you're working on called Tempest. Yeah. Tell us about that. Tempest. Tempest. Didn't I say that right? Tempest. Yeah, you did. It's not Tempest. Te- not Tempest. 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 As Let's say Tempest. it all together. Tempest. 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 Fugit, as in time flies. Okay. Um, oh, is that where it's from? I think so. Yeah, yeah. okay. It's Latin for You some, think for so? Time. Yeah. Let's ask Mary. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, it's a commission, and one of the producers had this idea of like, well, what if there was a woman who went on an Antarctic expedition in the 1930s, and maybe she perishes, but maybe she and her team could possibly be revived 100 years later when they find her in the ice, because it's possible, and any day now, this is really going to happen to somebody, so go. And so Jacqueline Backus and I wrote this musical mostly over the pandemic because we were kind of confined um, to Zoom. Yeah, but we wrote right. almost this whole musical uh, during wow. the pandemic about this woman who was, who was revived after 100 years. Yeah. And um, then we got into all the issues about, like, well, why did you do this to me? Like, I didn't have any choice in this. She's not so happy about that, right? At first she's not so happy, and yeah. then it, you know, it develops. And So the song you're going to sing is called Hurricane Season. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's not been produced yet. The the musical has not been produced yet. No. No. Uh, so you're hearing something for the first... Any day now. Any, anybody. Pro- anybody could produce uh, it. Anybody, anybody. Theater. Just see us afterwards. For some funding. Yeah, some funding. So tell us that the backstory of this... So it's the protagonist. It's Annie. Annie and Dr. Stone, who's on the revival team, and Dr. Janine are sort of... They've... they've Sorry. It's just a truck. It's, it's okay. Truck. It's uh, all right. They are. You're still 12 years old. You can fly. It's fine. It's just fine. <laughs> just, just keep going. Just keep talking to the microphone. <laughs> I just didn't want you to think it was me. 
No, there's actually a road out there. Okay. You can't see it, but it exists. Apparently it does. And it's been unfrozen after all these years. Anyway. And who knows? We might find anthrax or, oh, we might. or, or like yeah, a dead body might. that we can revive. Yeah, or we might. So or, Annie or, yeah. and the two doctors that revived her have sort of, they've clashed. Anyway, they're talking about the technology that revived Annie and, and why each of them got into this thing and who they would each revive had they been given the choice. Here's Jonathan Brooke and Hurricane Season. Everybody tells you it'll be alright When you're nine and your little brother dies Everybody tells you that it's not your fault Everything happens for a reason, so don't cry, don't cry Nobody tells you the mark it will make Nobody mentions the toll it will take on a heart in formation, there's no consolation. You'll carry it on your way, all the way home. I know. I know. Everybody tells you it'll be alright, even though the world is so unfair. Everybody tells you it's a worthy fight It's just a woman's cross to bear, you'll get your share But nobody tells you how hard it will be Nobody mentions the things they can't see Shrugging off catcalls, defending your shortfalls You'll carry it on your way, all the way home, I know, I know, I know. Sometimes it feels like everyone you know is drowning, do you save yourself, or the stranger in the deep? There's no rhyme or reason when it's hurricane season. The wind decides which promises we'll keep. A baseball glove, a locket, or a fairy tale. A talisman for every troubled mile before we sleep. I know. I know. No rhyme or reason in hurricane season You'll carry it on your way all the way home No matter what they say, you're still alone When you go Jonathan Brooke, gorgeous, just beautiful, just beautiful, beautiful. Thank, Thank you, you, Jonathan. 
Now please welcome our spoken word artist who is also the executive director of Black Table Arts, Brittany Delaney. There was a crucifixion. We all gathered around our internets and social networks, street corners and bridges, alleys and parks to witness the falling pieces of God in this world. Some of you call them Michael Brown and Tamir Rice and Dante Wright and Andre Hill and Jamar Clark and Philando Castile and George Floyd and some of us called them son and baby and boyfriend and husband and father and student and teacher and gone. We go through the muscle memory motions of funerals, people who walk away once the last tear is as old as the sirens, pastors who plead with the youth to find peace in a world built on the cusp of war, mothers whose praying arthritic hands have been broken into permanent steeples by late nights and empty beds in their wombs, hardened faces dripping the tears of revenge from memory-stained retinas, young ears not sensitive enough to the soundtrack of the sequel, so gun-riddled lullabies break beats across the fencing of adolescent skin and neighborhoods spend the track on repeat, repeat, there was a crucifixion. Some of you call it Sandra Bland and Ayanna Jones and Brianna Taylor and Natasha McKenna and Tanisha Anderson, and we call them sister and mom and auntie and teacher and baby girl and what happens when violence takes precedence over humanity, when the truest gangs in our cities walk 40 feet taller than those not willing to pledge to the precinct, artistic bullets that specialize in the graphic designings of backs and chest and sides, and sometimes seven-year-old girls like Ayanna in the middle of house raids to add feng shui to the cracks of our streets like projects broken and deemed proper process for properly processing minority faces in the bottom corners of newspapers as faceless teenagers. The execution of strange fruit awarded by the institution a paid administrative leave. Black sons and daughters spilled across our flag to accent the broken nations we call stars. A country of secrets, a place that can't get enough of us but damn sure don't want to keep us. And this time around, I am I am tired and I am scared and I am looking in the almond eyes of my own son and doing my best not to raise him in fear because I don't want to join the ranks of black mothers whose stomachs intimately know the feeling of a child whose life has been erased because 12 years can buy you an angelic face and 10 seconds can decide those gentle features are criminal. The juxtaposition worth a lifetime that's so usual, the time we give to it is minimal. I don't want the curbside to hold my babies for the last time. I want to bask in choir performances, sixth grade graduations, high school, college, and all their elevations. And when the lightning strikes through my hair, I want to be a grandmother who spoils my littles, tells them yes to everything, and tells their parents that no ain't fair. I want to heal completely. I want to know what the end of the journey feels like to be less broken so I can write poems about completion and wholeness without tripping across metaphors that can't find a way to make sense in our current reality because I want to tell you I have or that I'm getting there. But I am visiting my children's rooms three times a night and saying I love you with the strength of goodbye every time they leave my sight because we can't have bad mornings. We can't afford to have a door slam be the last music that we made together. My daughter asked me at seven when I was pulled over by the police, would we go to heaven together? This cannot continue to be our normal. 
nailing our hands to the crosses of our chest to pledge allegiance to the brokenness while our families sit at home and hope to spine and spirit that every door that was walked out of will be walked back into by the close of day and adding that prayer to the collection we have been building on since the birth of this nation that was founded on decay. I am tired of sickness. These bodies keep score. These marches shave at our bones. These souls grow more weary. Every time we take in another report of another one gone or another one missing, we talk about illnesses that tear our communities apart. But the one I'm most familiar with at 33 is losing my elders and my mentors and my friends to a broken heart and a broken system. And this poem starts like many poems, listing the names of those we have lost. And this poem will remain typical until violence is no longer our daily cause. And acquittals are no longer our daily bread and these crucifixions are no longer the crowns we lay upon our heads and grief is no longer the first meal that we eat brown boys grow up brown girls grow up no more black bodies in coffins before black life is complete no more crucifixions no more gathering around our internet and social networks street corners and bridges alleys and parks to witness the falling pieces of god in this world it is time to pray their feet back to the ground it is time to heal our souls from the inside out. Thank you. Brittany, thank you, thank you, thank you. Confidence is low 
Zippy Lasky. Zippy, 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 thank you. So this is actually an acoustic version of your new single. Yeah. That is out and all produced and everything. But I asked her, I said, could you do an acoustic version of it? And it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Thank it's you. lovely. So thank you for doing that. Um, so this song, you, you were telling me that you wrote it at a time when um, there was a, a whole sense of, of uncertainty in your life at the time. You had just had your second child. You were trying to uh, apply for nursing school for the second time. Mm -hmm. You were getting back into singing. You were doing our show. Anyway, <laughs> anyway um, but there was all sorts of things. Tell me about that, the impetus for this song. Yeah, this song is a merge of all of those things. Um, so I, I had my, my second daughter, and you know, after having a baby, you just feel a little bit out of sorts, not like yourself. Um, and then it's, it takes up a lot of your time, obviously. So I kind of stepped back from music, and I was applying to nursing school, which I just finished my second semester. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, so it was kind of that feeling of I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing with my life. I wasn't sure if I was any good at these things I was trying to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, life is this up and down, up and down thing. And I understand there's going to be moments where you're low. Um, but being in that place it helps me recognize it in other people, too. And this is kind of that ode being like, hey, I see it like you're doing great. Yeah. You were also telling me that you weren't sure exactly how you were feeling, and then it sort of became sort of revealed to you. It's like, oh, I guess this is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is that how it is always with songwriting? Maybe it is with songwriting. I don't yeah. know. Like, yeah. Maybe you relate, or like Brittany, yeah. too, when you write poems, but I often find that after I write a song, I step back and listen to it, and I'm like, oh, wow. It's, it's a very healing process. Yeah. It's therapeutic. But then it also like gives you a lot of insight to how you actually feel. Because yeah. a lot of the times, I can't put my finger on it until I, I write about it. And then I'm like, oh, yes. Yeah, oh, that is it. Okay, great. Thank you, thank you. Zippy Lasky, thank you so much. <laughs> so recently, I've had a string of hits concerning my age. Uh, during some uh, medical tests, there have been uh, clinic aides informed only by my date of birth that have begun conversations with statements like, so, what did you do for a living? Or, hey, how's retirement treating you? Yeah, not retired. The latest version of this is, um, I'm getting some blood work, and it's uh, a Friday, and the aide drawing blood says, TGIF, right? And I say, oh, thank God it's Friday. Sure, sure, sure. Then she chuckles and she says, oh, but I bet every day is Friday for you. Uh, no, actually not at all. When I first moved to the U.S., I struggled with learning English and found it amusing when people spoke loudly to help me understand. <laughs> At that time, I was working with teachers, so they would tell me in a loud voice, You have a meeting tomorrow! <laughs> well, even after 
two decades when I returned to my native Guatemala. I often find that the locals assume that I can speak Spanish fluently. <laughs> yep, and they will speak to me in a slow and exaggerated manner. Like, for example, I encounter a guy asking us for money on the street, and I found two coins on my pocket. I gave one to my husband to give, and I gave him the other one. And uh, the guy wasn't speaking at first. He moved his hands, and then I asked him, ¿Qué pasa, señor? And he tells me in a loud voice, Tell the German guy he is not going to be poor. The German guy is my Puerto Rican husband. <laughs> oh, am I safe to assume that I don't know about you and you don't know about me? Can't we agree that it isn't true until it's been proved? Societal corruption pins me guilty by assumption. by your assumptions. MCA Records dropped me while I was in the middle of a national tour for my record, Ten Cent Wings. It was right when my first single, Secrets and Lies, was climbing the charts at AAA Radio. Such a catchy tune. The day after they shredded my contract, they called all the programmers at the radio stations and told them I no longer existed. I threw a party. Wendy and Lisa, yeah, you know those, Wendy and Lisa from Prince's band, they came. Michelle and Diego came too. It was quite a night, we drank a lot of wine. We traded war stories, laughed about the hubris and incompetence of record executives. We made a pact that our independence would be a badge of honor. Hell, no one could do a worse job than those bozos. That's when I started my own independent record label, Bad Dog Records. <laughs> Steady Pull was my first new record on my own label. For old time's sake, I sent it around to the heads of all the majors and, well, old white men, all of them. I had to be sure I didn't want to give it one more shot. They loved it. They really, really loved it. They all thought Linger rocked, that it was a hit song, that I was really coming into my own. But then, to a man, they all asked, how old are you now? Oh. 33. I was 33. Mm, we love you. We really, really love you. You're a truly great artist, and Linger is a hit, but 33? We're not signing anyone over 21 these days. Bad Dog's first single, Linger, was top five at AAA Radio. I was invited to The Letterman Show, Conan O'Brien, Craig Kilborn, Stephanie Miller. I toured the US and Europe with my band. Just think what I can do now that I'm 59. Oh, am I sick to assume that I don't know about you and you don't know about me? Can we agree that it isn't true until it is proved? Societal corruption 
pins me guilty by assumption So two um, elderly ladies, as they were referred to, were arrested for feeding cats in a city park in Alabama. What the two women were actually doing is called TNR, Trap, Neuter, Release. They're volunteers helping to cut the feral cat population by luring the cats with food, trapping them, taking them to an animal shelter while they are neutered, and then they're released back to the park. Police didn't care about any of that. It was illegal to feed cats, so the women had to be arrested. When the older, 84-year-old woman, out of frustration, tosses her car keys at the police, they decided uh, to handcuff her, saying several times, Listen, ma'am, you're way too old to be acting this feisty. Her fellow volunteer, the 61-year-old elderly woman, I tried to intervene, and she was told, oh, oh, she too would be arrested. Later, as the officer is reporting back to a supervisor over the radio, he says, I'll tell you, that 84-year-old almost ended up whooping all of our asses trying to get her in handcuffs. She about dumped me on my head. My partner almost had to tase the other one. I'm glad no one was recording, because a bunch of police officers beating up on two little old ladies, that'd be rough. Except it was being recorded. (laughs) By his own body cam. (laughs) And none of the whooping or the dumping actually happened. Interesting that he's deriding the 84-year-old saying she's too old to be this feisty, and yet when asked why the elderly women needed to be handcuffed, he makes up a claim that they almost whooped his ass. Here's to feisty 84, 94, and 104 year old women. Open up your eyes, you will be surprised that people are not always what they seem. Open your mind to the human divine, this infinite cosmic complexity. What makes it real? The Tennessee legislators assumed the Tennessee Three would just go away. After the House voted to expel them, following their passionate, nonviolent protest of the body's inaction on gun violence after the tragic shooting in Nashville, they didn't go away. They went to the White House. The Montana legislators assumed Zoe Zefford would just be quiet after banning her ability to speak on the House floor, following her impassioned condemnation of a bill that would ban gender-affirming health care. But she isn't being quiet. She is so not being quiet. Oh, is it safe to assume that I don't know about you? And you don't know about me Can we agree that it isn't true Until it's been proven Societal corruption Pins me guilty by assumption Sibby Lasky! <laughs> Sylvia Pontaza! Jonathan Brooke! Thank you, thank you!
So, Jonathan, you wrote a one-woman show uh, about caring for your mother with Alzheimer's called uh, My Mother Has Four Noses. Mm -hmm. This ran off-Broadway. Mm -hmm. It's been around the world. I don't know, if, around the country, anyway. Yeah, it's the here, country so far. It was here at the Jungle in 2018. The jungle, yep. Yep, yep, yep. And um, your mother was an accomplished poet. She was a clown. <laughs> and in 2010... You moved her in with you to take care of her. I did, yeah. 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 Um, sidebar, and the reason that, thank you. Yeah, it was sacred work. And um, my husband, who's here tonight, was the one who insisted. And he said, um, Yeah. She's yeah. your mother. Yeah. Did he say it just like that? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. That's a little judgy, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Let's let the truck go by. But mm. another side, another sidebar. My mom, my mom actually was a clown. She went to clown school. This is the reason I'm still 12 in my head because I was 12 when mom went to clown school and came home with the, the makeup and the polka dotted suit and the floppy shoes and told us to call her Stony the Clown because oh. Stone was her maiden name. So like as if seventh grade wasn't awful enough. Yeah. My mother came Stony the Clown. Stony the Clown. Yeah, okay. Um, you were talking about during her last two years, uh, as she's, uh, you know, obviously working through the Alzheimer's and you're living together, there was all these scary things that were happening. But that your writer brain was telling you, okay, this is hysterical. I have to put this down. I have to write this down, right? Yeah, well, I mean, often, even as she was losing track of her words, she would look for the most delicious, largest, most syllab syllabic things that she could conjure. And so she would just make stuff up some mornings, and she'd just be like, well, Bully, you know, you might be refrigerated for other expectations. And you go, I could use that in that new musical called Tempest that I'm writing right now. <laughs> foreshadowing, foreshadowing. And then she would be like, Bully, that's good. Are you getting this down? Yeah. Because we should make a play out of it. And we could take it to Broadway and make a ton of money. And, and um, you did. <laughs> well, well, off Broadway. Yeah, well, that's close. You know, your, the title, you were telling me your, your mother had... Um, uh, some experiences with skin cancer. So she actually <laughs> she had, had a big experience. She had it. four prosthetic noses. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. They make you four when you lose your nose to skin cancer. And what I asked her earlier was, was there one for different occasions, like the dressed up nose? And, the, and I mean, and I was actually curious. I wasn't being funny, but, but I know. And you said, no, they, they were different tints. Yeah, they were like seasonal, you know. <laughs> Winter, spring, summer, fall noses. And then, I mean, she had such a great sense of humor about it. She really did. And so she would, she would often joke about, like, well, I should have had them make a red one, too. Well, <laughs> she's a clown, after all. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the irony is not lost Lots on anyone. Yeah. So this song that you're going to sing a song from the, from the play, yeah. from the musical, uh, it's called Scars. Mm -hmm. Give us a little background on this. Well, I actually stole a little line for this song from one of her poems. Um, my mom wrote a poem called Words About Writing. And in the poem, she talks to a younger writer about what it's like to work day after day at finding the words, finding the poem. And she talks about it as if you're coaxing a wild animal. And day after day, you sit very, very, very still. And you, you keep the crumbs in your hand until they come a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. And then you start again more than you ever dreamed you could. And so yeah. I stole that line from her. And yeah, wow. 
Okay, so here's Scars, Jonathan Brooke. What's there beneath the surface? There beneath the surface, underneath the skin, is where you start again. You're mad, but you have no idea how strong that you can be when you've a purpose. And you have got a purpose You see just where you've been And then you start again This is where the road goes cold The villain disappears All the clues are missing All the clues are missing There's only static in your head and there is ringing in your ears what the hell so you start again more than you ever dreamed you could you start again I can let you in and not go down again. I can see the future now and I can breathe because I know how the story ends. There beyond the river's bend and I have made my peace, my peace with why and when. Blame the seasons, and I will not thank the stars. It's only you and me now. Only you and me now. There's crazy music in our heads, so we will laugh and count the scars. What the hell? What the hell? And we'll start again. More than Start again, 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 start again. When no one thought we would. Scars are there to prove you've healed, cause no one knows what's there beneath the surface. There beneath the surface. Underneath the skin is where you start again. Thank you.
Thank you, Jonathan Brooke. Jonathan Brooke. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, please help me welcome my guest for the conversation, Princess Titus. Princess, come on up. Mic check, one, two, one, two. Okay. There you go. She's got it. Um, thank you so much, Princess. Thank you for, uh, for doing this and being a part of this wonderful evening. I can't, uh, and, and bringing all your, bring, we have, you have some family members, right? Your daughter, Princess Anne is here, and your son Jesse is here, and you've got some other fam family and friends and all that kind of thing. All right. And we're all going to be friends now. Okay. Um, just for those listening in the podcast in particular, and for some of us in the room, I'm going to run through a little bit of your bio, okay? So, as you told me on the phone, you're all about healing. It's all about healing. And what I love, you said healing and winning. You're also the co-founder of Appetite for Change, which uses food as a tool to build health, wealth, and social change in North Minneapolis. Yes. This nonprofit was honored at the 2023 Martin Luther King Jr. Breakfast. You're also the co-founder of Standard Edition Women. Uh, which is all about creating a culture of celebrating the health and safety of families. That healing retreat this June uh, that we're highlighting tonight for young people who've been impacted by the circle of gun violence is exactly the mission of Standard Edition Women. You are also a survivor of gun violence. Your son Anthony was killed by a bullet meant for somebody else in 2010. And since then you have dedicated yourself beautifully to helping other families heal from the effects of this type of trauma. You are a mom, as I said earlier, to son Jesse and daughter Princess Anne. And Anthony. And Anthony, <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, you are a life coach, a counselor, a spoken word artist, a writer. Your contributions appearing in two anthologies, Mothering Through Pain and Suffering in Silence, and the 2022 Let the Black Women Say Ashe. And you're selling those books after the show. Okay. So you're originally from Chicago, and you mentioned at one point that you said, I'm a refugee from Chicago. But you moved here, you said you were 19, and you had a toddler and a baby on the way, and you wanted to give your children a place to grow up away from the streets of Chicago. And you moved here, and you were so thrilled by the diversity in the neighborhood. Tell us about that. All right, well, when I first arrived on the Amtrak, I was in St. Paul. And so going somewhere with a no destination after you get there, you're excited that the trip is over, but like, who picks you up? Yeah. Where, where do you use the bathroom? Um, so I told the police officer who was a white guy because growing up in Chicago, it's still very segregated and it was very segregated then. So I didn't really, I thought white people were in California and that was where the TV shows were made. Oh, and sure. so yeah. when I came to Minnesota, I'm like, is this close to California? Like, I remember the <laughs> map, but... It is so close to California. Right. <laughs> so we are that close. And so, but there were, there were Laotian people and Hmong people, and I just couldn't ask for race anymore. So I remember, you know, asking people what's their nationality and what type of food do they eat, what type of food do they grow. Yeah. And it, it was it felt warm and welcoming and inviting and it seemed like people wanted to build community. Yeah. And then I looked for housing and was told that I could not live in St. Paul, that I should live in North Minneapolis because I was from Chicago. So before I knew anything about covenants and redlining, I was actually 
impacted by it. And I moved to North Minneapolis and I found housing. I got my GED within eight months. I've yeah. been off of public assistance ever since. I've been here 28 years. I worked at the Minneapolis Urban League. I tripped and fell into a teaching career. Um, and <laughs> right. And because the development of our children were important, so when schools told me that my children were ADHD, I had to go sit in their classrooms because at home we were digging for worms and baking cakes from scratch and yeah. playing tr magic tricks. And so they, I wasn't having those problems at home. So I volunteered in their classroom and then started to pursue my career in education. To end this is when Anthony, when we lost Anthony, um, when the whole community truly of North Minneapolis became victims of gun violence. Because when these things happen, they don't just happen to us, they happen to everybody who sees them. Yeah, right. And we understand that with the seeing the crucifixion of um, George Floyd yeah. and many others. But I was working with men who were coming back home from prison after taking someone's life. And so I heard the stories of many violences happening to young black men, bullying, domestic violence in the home, um, systematic oppression at, at the doctor's office, inside schools, to the point where I did not feel the same way that I thought I would feel about the young man who took Anthony's life mm -hmm. after court was over. I felt like I lost two more young men and I yeah. felt like it was a losing system that was set up that way. Yeah, right. Just to give a little background, so Anthony had just turned 16 uh, and it's July 4th, 2010, and he's walking to a graduation party with some friends, and he was killed, as you say, by a bullet meant for another child. And you and your older son, Jesse, were watching fireworks that night, and you get a call that he's been shot, and you said you drove, like, five red lights to get there. Every light from Minnehaha Falls to North Minneapolis. Yeah. Just to clear up a few things, Anthony's birthday was June 20th, so that was Father's Day. And he had, um, two weeks later, was the 4th of July. And Jesse and I never got a chance to see the fireworks. We were walking up oh, to okay, see yeah. them. And before a firework popped, somebody said it. Fat Fat got shot. And that life that was ahead of me to get my teaching license, I had one more test to take. I had just graduated like three weeks ago. It just, I don't know where it is. And mm -hmm. so there was this new life. My hand did go to my heart. And so when you hear something tragic, the first thing you do is you pray. Mm -hmm. I've even heard a few atheist friends of mine say they pray yeah. when they get certain news. And so my hand to my heart said that he was no more. And so I sang the serenity prayer. Mm. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I can't change. Mm. You know the rest. When we got there, my first response was to run to my son through the yellow tape. And they grabbed my son, they put him in a police car, and they grabbed me and they said, ma'am, no. And I was so mad with myself. So I stepped back and I kicked off my flip-flops and I got grounded. And I said, why did you do that? What was your desired result? So when we talk about being a standard edition women, mm -hmm. you're really living your life based on your desired result. My desired result was to know if that was my son. Right. It was not to contaminate a crime scene. Right. It was not to mimic the millions of women that I've seen on TV shows run through the yellow tape. Right. And when I stepped back, I noticed 
Everything was a TV show. Everybody was standing right there. The yellow tape goes two blocks down. So I walked the perimeter. And when I came to where the detectives were flashing the lights, I was able to stand barefoot on an abandoned building filled with trash and be harassed by law enforcement who told me that I was trespassing on an abandoned building. Mm. So I called the police on the police and Sherman, <laughs> I had a little left juice on my phone. Like, who do I call the police or do I take a picture of this? Yeah. And I called the police on the police and Sherman came. I actually saw him today. He was working with the mayor's office, the Office of Violence Prevention. And he came and he told me what the situation would be like, how it process goes. And he said, Princess, we're going to find who did this. And so when the coroner came, I didn't want to see that. And I walked out and I told the young people, I said, let's circle up and let's give thanks because in all things, we're supposed to give thanks. Yeah, wow. So that bitter cup, yeah. I had to give thanks. And I told the news, I said, you come see this. They weren't interested because they want to show the mother running through the yellow tape. Yeah. They want to show this continued program truth of how we're responding to the many violences before gun violence and then the gun violence. They want to show women addicted and still being abusive. Mm -hmm. And I want to show us something different because I have a standard. Yes. Yes. When we, uh, we had a couple phone calls before tonight and I said to her, I said to Princess, I want to make sure as we're going through your story, I want to be respectful um, about triggering you. And you said, I prefer the term activated. Activated. <laughs> and, uh, and you said, a trigger can't be unpulled, but someone can be deactivated. A situation can be unactivated. And it was so powerful, Princess, and such a, and it was such a gift to me. And so thank you for that. Thank, thank you. you for that. And you were also talking about how um, shoot you an email and some of those things. It's like, hmm, at, hang in there. Take a stab Take at it. Take a stab at it. Screenshot. Screenshot. Uh, our activating. Our language. Yeah. Um, because I work with women who have suffered the loss of a life of a child. And often when I joined groups, they only wanted women whose children had been community gun violence. And so the women whose children were taken by police were in a different group. And the women whose children committed self-harm were in a different group. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're standard edition women. Grief is grief and loss is loss. We're going to all come together. So we work with women who have suffered abortion and adoption. Those women struggle the most. We work with women who have children who are estranged and incarcerated. The women who have children who've responded bad to um, psychotropic medications, so they're not the same. And women who've lost children to gun violence, police, and community, self-harm and substance use disorder. Because the women in the household have to heal in order to stop the circle of the surviving children to be involved in child protection and then adoption, which continues the circle. The reason why Island of Discarded Women was so important to me is because I felt discarded. Yeah, I felt like I wore a scarlet letter. Now, when I tell you, if you close your eyes, that Anthony had no cavities at 16. 
And his pre-ACT said he should have been an astronaut, an engineer, or an architect. He was in trigonometry, too, as a freshman and was a hockey player. With your eyes closed, you would not see a black child. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And then when I say right. Anthony passed away, and people go, oh, how'd he die? And I say he was shot. They see gangbanger. Mm-hmm. And the community advocated for our family in news and media so that Anthony cannot be another child shot because they knew who we are as a family. Not was, not were, but are. Bringing that up to the language, when I'm working with those women, I cannot tell my friend who works in the governor's office I'm hanging in there because her son hung himself. Right, right, right. And so to right. give yourself a way to move in it and not spoon feed you this deficit-based language that is just swooning with death for our children. You don't have to be triggered. You don't have power when there's a trigger. You can be activated, and in being activated, you can be deactivated. So I'm going to send you all home with something. If you deal with anxiety and depression or whatever, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise mine for all of us. (laughs) But remember that. Our divine, infinite one would not send us through that again. So when those situations happen, like fireworks. Activating for you. I have to say, this is just like that night. Mm -hmm. And I put my hand on my chest and I say, I'm all right. Things might not be okay, but I'm all right. And I can't say it's just like that night, because that night I didn't hear the fireworks. Right? Right, right, right. right. So you can always put your hand on your chest whenever you're feeling those situations because we've told ourselves these stories are already always listening and our repetitive habitual human asses have told us these stories. (laughs) But you can touch your heart. You can breathe in really deep. Mm -hmm. You can comfort yourself. You can deactivate and tell yourself you are all right even when things are not okay. That's one on the house. I thought it was interesting because when we were talking and I was asking you about how involved you are with some of the gun laws advocacy groups, and you were you were sharing with me, if I can share this, that after this happened, you did reach out and you were looking for resources mm-hmm. to you know to help with the, through the trauma and healing. And they were saying, uh, we do advocacy, we you know we we lobby legislators, we try to get the gun laws changed. We don't do resources. And that kind of lit a fire under you, didn't you, as far as, is that an activating language, lit a fire? Might be. Um, (laughs) It kind of motivated motivated you to say, okay, if if people are being impacted by gun violence, if the advocacy groups don't have resources, then let's create them. You were telling me you were dealing with 77 mothers. 77 women. 77 women who have deal, who are dealing with the impact of gun violence. I'm actually, I just joined the board of Parents of Murdered Children, and I'll be driving up Southeast Chapter because there's not one for Minneapolis. Oh, really? There's not one. Okay. Um, and so I'll be driving up to Winona. Winona. Um, yeah, Winona. And to take some things for a yard sale this weekend, and I also have to meet with a woman who um, my esteemed board member from CPC 2.0 spoke with her on the phone and she sent me an email and she said at the end of the call the woman said and I'm keeping her personal story private because we do that but she said it's been three months 
how am I supposed to do this? Yeah. And my board member said, girl, you need to call princess. Like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know. And she called me and she cried. And she was like, girl, how do you do this? And it's people say, take it day by day. Uh-uh. People say, take it hour by hour. Nope, not really. You take it moment by moment. Mm -hmm. And you're compassionate with yourself because people may not be. Because people don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And when I don't know what to say, I intercede. I'm like, God, you didn't put me in front of this people. <laughs> Tell them something, or I'm just gonna sit here and listen. And sometimes it's really just the ministry of presence that people need. Because being discarded without my son and having a son and a daughter surviving, I didn't know how to be there for them. Mm -hmm. And my friends thought I was doing great, and I wasn't. Yeah. But I took that bitter cup, and I showed women that we don't have to be addicted, and we don't have to be stressed out, and we don't have to be ashamed of living our lives happily right. because of the loss of our child's life. Because Anthony doesn't have a physical life, yeah. I want mine to be really good. And it's not because he would want me to, because I wanted him to catch the bus. So me and him got a whole another conversation we can have. If it's about what somebody wanted somebody to do, right? Disobedient child. But um, if it's for me to show people that to lose someone's life is a part of the circle of life. And so how do we do that gracefully? Yeah. How do we revel in their memories and their the recipes and the lessons that they taught us? Yeah. Not just when it's gun violence, but when it's your mother, right? You, your mother, you shared that story. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm here to do. And that's my standard. We want to create a culture of healing and safety. Yeah. And we have to check our language and we have to check our expectations. And there's no 100% victims, right? So people are not being there for me and understanding or celebrating the fact that I haven't just lost it on this Wednesday. <laughs> so I have to be there for myself. I have to hear my own story and I have to write it. I have to wet a white towel to cry into. I usually don't wipe my tears. I take pictures of them because I think that's what we're not doing. So often we say we don't wanna cry in front of our children. Then are we teaching our children to be unhealthy with their emotions. Yeah, right, exactly. No, exactly. Thank you for letting me go down that rabbit hole. No, home. no, no. Um, I love that you you refer to Anthony as your 16-year-old ancestor. Yeah. And and that he's, you know, he's like our ancestors are with us. I just love that yes. whole imagery, that whole idea about that. Um, you call yourself a livetician. Yes. And a libetician, I Googled it, and it was hard to find. So basically, it's sort of like, it's basically like a kind of like a made-up word, but it's kind of like healthy lifestyle, not just like a dietitian. Right. It's a libetician, right. like you're living healthy life. Oh. <laughs> Look, they got it for the people in the back. Deborah Klein actually coined the term. So we started Appetite for Change one year after Anthony passed away. And I remember saying, let's have people talk about the foodscape. And I was sitting next to somebody and they said, that's not a word. 
And I'm like, well, I am from Chicago, you know, Jesse Jackson, making up words. Your mom, right? Get to make up words. And like maybe three years later, people were talking about foodscapes. When I said that I was a libitician because I didn't want a dietitian because it has the word die in it, um, somebody said, that's not a word. And then I, I Googled it and I found Deborah Klein and she's in California. She's not responding yet. I'm like, Deborah, you got you a black libertician yet, yes, girl? Yes, Deborah. You ain't, on, got Deborah. You, a, you ain't got you a princess yet, Deborah. Come on, Deborah. Um, Get with I'll it. be in Cali soon. I'll knock on our office door. But well, and you, you were, one of the reasons you said you wanted to uh, leave Chicago, or you went, you were looking to pl- for a place where you could um, grow your own food, yes. breathe in healthy air, uh, live around healthy soil, eat and drink good, good food, water, drink the water. Right, and so that was the one of the reasons you came here. Now, in your you you have a TEDx talk. She has a fabulous TEDx talk that she did a few years ago, and you tell the story about being a kid when you're in Chicago, mm-hmm. and you're told to hop the fence because your next door neighbor grows uh, has a garden, mm-hmm. and to grab a tomato for whatever your whatever your mom is making that night, mm-hmm. and you think you're doing something wrong, right? But the neighbor knew what you were doing, mm-hmm. was totally cool with it. But you had this this thing of oh this fresh produce this is so wonderful so did that that instill in you an early early sense of why don't we grow our own foods right right and so then you come here to North Minneapolis you were telling me about how the Cub Foods in Minneapolis in North Minneapolis you walk into Dale Donuts and Ketchup the Cub Foods anywhere else you walk into flowers and produce right and then you also thought was really interesting you talked about the candy aisle is like twice in the grocery stores in north minneapolis as opposed to anywhere else in the twin cities so where is the healthy food message um and where are the options and so appetite for change which you co-founded is just brilliant so your your goal was you were saying that you you the neighborhood was so diverse and you learned how to garden from the Hmong farmers. Yes. Watch me weed with a butcher knife. <laughs> Watch you weed with a butcher knife. I think that's a song. I was so... Or a poem. <laughs> right. One or the other. I was Watch so me cute. weed with a butcher knife. I was so cute in the garden with my hat and my gloves. I was in this apartment complex, and it was like, you want to garden? I was like, yeah. And it was like, well, ain't no black people out there. And I was like, so? And it was like, well, the this uh, Hmong community. And I'm like, okay. And then I got there and I had on this hat and these gloves and I had a spade. That woman stood over me and she took my hat and just threw it and turned my face to the sun. And I I was like, what? And then my hands went up and so she took the gloves off. (laughs) And she threw them and she put my hands in the soil. Yeah. And then I had a spade and she showed me it was flimsy from dollar store so she bent it. And she pulled out a butcher knife and got down and showed me how to get that full weed out. My daughter took her first steps in the cucumber patch. My boys grew food with me. Anthony planted a big strawberry patch before he transitioned. And Jesse wasn't feeling us growing in a kitty-sized swimming pool. So he was doing some, like, lasagna bed stuff. Before we knew lasagna beds was lasagna beds. (laughs) Um, And I didn't go back to the garden that year. Yeah, you were saying that... uh after Anthony was killed, you stepped away from the garden. But then there was a sense, you had a moment. Yeah, where yeah. the sun. Yeah. I saw the sun, like, the sun, 
I miss my son. There he is. It's my son. Nobody else's. And the son said, Psst, hey, why'd you let your garden die? And I'm like, I did have a garden. And I got there and I took my shoes off. Mm-hmm. You got to get grounded. I even get grounded when it's snowing outside. Yeah. Earth needs us and we need her. Yeah. Um, and there were strawberries just abundantly. And the cucumbers had reseeded themselves. And so when Michelle wanted to reach out to me on November 11th, which is both my grandmother's birthdays. Um, and she wanted to talk about food. I'm like, as long as you're going to have a garden, I'll be there. You pay me to heal in the, in the soil because that's what Earth said I would do. Wow. So, yes, 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 yes. And you talk about real food for real people. Programs for Appetite for Change. Community cooks. Workshops bringing people together to cook, eat, listen, and discuss social change. Meal boxes which was started during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Fresh ingredients, they deliver over 400 boxes to households each week, no cost. Urban agricultural slash urban farms, paid training programs for youth, fostering positive self-image. Many of these youth have been in gangs, or they're unhoused, or they're struggling with addiction. Breaking Bread Cafe, food as a community organizing tool. Trap and Grow Song Series, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. There's all these. There's this wonderful series of rap numbers, basically. Really cool songs. Princess, you're in one of them, aren't you? (laughs) And um, and they're wonderful. So it's all by the by the youth. But fostering this love for healthy food, and then the gifts of healing. You know, I remember in school they would say nature versus nurture, and I believe nothing is versus anything. I believe there's different variables, and they all play a role. Nature and nurture. So young people come out. They don't know these things. Right. And then the environment, what I've watched um, young people experience and they've shared with me is that something about the environment tells them that their life doesn't matter. Yeah. And tells them their intuition is wrong. But it's a great idea to just take them out of that community and let them just breathe and let them just be and let them just be children again, blow bubbles and kayak yeah right tap back in to that intrinsic voice that says you are loved yeah and everything that happened to you no one may have been there for you through it but i'm here for you through it and so i truly feel like my gift my purpose to be here and and it won't make losing anthony's life mean anything if i don't do anything with it princess titus Thank you, Princess. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Princess. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing so beautifully. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, that's our show for tonight, everybody. Thank you, thank you. I want to thank, yes, Princess Titus, please. We've got Princess Titus, yes. Yes. And Brittany Delaney. And Jonathan Brooke. Jonathan, come on up. And Sylvia Pontaza. Zippy Lasky. I want to thank Crooners. Thank you so much, Crooners, and John Robinson, our 
our engineer for tonight. Thank you, Bonnie Allen, for taking our pictures. And to our assistant, Kara Shukar and Beth Desitel, thank you for filling in tonight. Suzanne Egley, thank you for, for being our volunteer. We have had some recent donors who helped with this transition here. I want to, I'm just going to yell out their first names. So thank you for to David and Carol and Tina and Sarah and Cornelia and Bruce and Nancy and David. Thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us make this transition. Please visit our website at www.islandofdiscarderedwomen.com to hear our episodes and hear information about our future shows. And we will be back next month with another live Island of Discarded Women. Thank you, everybody. I'm Sue Scott. Thank you. Thank you.